Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode and today's guest is somebody that I have been trying to get onto this program for such a long time but this guy has been so so busy but he's got no excuses right now because he's off for the school holidays and uh, he's well you've probably guessed he's a teacher in fact he's actually a deputy head teacher for comprehensive school in London my guest today is Fahim Khan Fahim is an incredible individual I've been following his journey for a while now on LinkedIn and he's doing some incredible stuff he's also I don't know how he fits in but he's also the founder of the future leaders program which is really aimed to uh, to develop leadership skills for underprivileged children uh, aged around about 17 to 18 years old. Now this one particularly resonates with me because I'm also designing a program for 16 to 18 year olds because I also believe that our future leaders, these young people coming up, need to have those leadership skills to allow us to shine in the future and that's what it's all re- really all about. I wish I'd had that when I was 17 or 18 years old. Uh, Fahim is also the LGBTQI plus lead for all schools, that's about 20 schools in the London borough of Redbridge. Uh, he's been in education for nearly 16 years, although to look at him you would not believe that. Uh, he's been awarded and he's been nominated for many, many awards. I've just got a bit of a taste of those awards, things like ITV's National Diversity Awards, the Mayor's Award for Services to Young People, the UK Parliament Award for Promoting Democracy, and recently he's been nominated for the Ethnicity Awards. Now, I mean, that's a hell of an introduction there, but it actually... I hope it does you some justice for him because I know that you're doing way more than this. Thank you so much for being on the program and welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Cole. I'm really excited about today. As you say, we've been trying to get it, get this on the books for a long time. So it's such an honor and privilege to be here and, and be part of the amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much. And first and foremost, congratulations. You've got six weeks of respite, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but knowing you, you're probably not going to rest so much. You're probably resting from your school uh, responsibility but of course you've still got future leaders to continue with uh, and that is probably a very very busy uh, uh, thing for you to manage with all of your team Uh, and you are involved in so many things how do you find the time to be involved in so much my philosophy is if you want to get something done ask someone who's busy and I think you know if if something is worth doing you will find the time to do it Um, so things are really really busy but when you're doing such incredibly rewarding work like I am privileged enough to do 
through. It just it it just gives you the energy and feeds uh, feeds so much uh, enthusiasm into you that it, you know it's a labor of love and doesn't really feel like work. But uh, yeah, the diary needs to be very very organized indeed. That resonates with me. I, I'm involved in so many things and. Only yesterday I was talking to somebody, I said, hey, I've just been asked to go on television and in two weeks' time I'm going down to London and I'm going to be on this programme that's going to be talking about police interrogations and I'm a, like one of the advisors, one of the experts. And they said, well, how are you doing that? And what's that got to do with leadership? I said, I have no idea. But I have a philosophy for him that now I'm getting, I'm getting on in age uh, and now I just don't want to miss an opportunity of doing something that's uh, impactful that something that's interesting, something that leads a le- leaves a legacy. So I literally say yes to everything and anything that comes my way. And uh, and you're so right. Uh, I, I've been blessed with PAs throughout my entire life, and now I'm my own PA. And, uh, yeah, I have to be very disciplined. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So listen, um, you've been involved in education for 16 years. You must have seen so many things in that period of time. My own wife's a, a teacher, an educator like yourself. Uh, but you've worked in some of the toughest districts in London and you now work with underprivileged children with your 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 uh, foundation or your company called Future Leaders, which I understand is a social enterprise company. Explain to me what it is that Future Leaders does actually actually does with these young people. So, Cole, as you know, I've been in education for 15 years, 16 years, and, and work in the East End of London. And in that time, what we started to realize, me and a, and a group of other teachers, was that even with the best of intentions, um, te- schools just don't have the time and the resources to provide the wraparound care that disadvantaged young people need uh, to have the scaffolding in place so they can achieve their best selves. Uh, and just becoming frustrated over time in, in schools around those young people, perhaps sometimes falling through the cracks, uh, we came up with an idea to build a leadership program for disadvantaged young people that would provide that wraparound care to help them achieve their next steps, whatever those next steps were, whether it was a top university, apprenticeship, world of work. And so we work with these young people across a 12-month program. Uh, and it's quite intensive. So we meet with them once a week. And, and last year, our program had 200 young people on it. So we have 200 amazing young people in a room. We do lots of different activities and, and leadership activities and, and confidence building activities and aspiration building and ambition building activities, but also work very closely with universities and apprenticeship providers and, and uh, companies like Amazon and Freshfields for work experience. So at the end of the six, um, the first six months, the young people are feeling empowered and positive about their future, but also have some real experiences behind them that they can use on their CV or their personal statements to secure their next steps. So half the program is about investing in them and their next steps, but equally, the other half of the program is about empowering them to invest in their communities. And this is this part is really, really important to me. So we empower them through the lived stories of people that have a lived experience of discrimination, prejudice, homophobia, racism, sexism, misogyny, speakers who, who volunteer their time to come and share their incredible stories with our young people. And through those stories, we galvanize our, our, galvanize our young people to feel a sense of civic responsibility and duty for their local community. And so at the end of our project, we ask each young person to establish a social action project at their school or mosque or synagogue or cricket club or football club, wherever their jam is, 
to lead some of these really important issues forward and to make a positive contribution to their community and their society. So we invest in the young people, but we also empower them to invest in their communities. That's incredible. And this is a whole year project, is it? It is, yeah. So there's two offerings. So there's a core offer for the first six months uh, where we meet with them weekly and expose them to all sorts of careers and experiences and opportunities. And then the second six months, we deliver more specialized sessions. So for those, for instance, interested in medicine, there'll be special sessions for them. Those interested in law uh, will be providing additional support for social action projects. Um, So there's an intensive six months and then a supportive six months. That's incredible. So, I mean, that is a lot of work that uh, goes on for a whole year on top of your very, very busy day job. So clearly you must have a team. Is it a team of volunteers or a team of staff that you have working with you? Yeah, we have a small team of staff, all teachers, all working in schools that are absolutely committed uh, to making sure that these young people don't fall through the cracks. And so we come together and and, and work really, really hard to deliver this program for as many young people as we can. That's absolutely incredible. And, you know, uh, congratulations for doing that. And uh, I'm in awe of what you're doing right there. But there must have been a driving passion. Why choose leadership as the concept? What, What is it about leadership that you feel that these young people need to need to have uh, going forward it all starts with my own personal journey and my own kind of lived experience so you know i was born and raised in pakistan i only immigrated to the west when i was 11 and that was a really difficult time for me coming to a new country at the age of 11 mm. didn't speak english i'm neurodivergent as well so learning english was really difficult and like many families who come from that part of the world to this part of the world money was tight all six of us living in a, in a one-bed council flat for a long time my dad was working, you know, 18 hours at a corner shop. My mom didn't didn't adjust well to the move. You know, in Pakistan, you you live in these communities, and and taking her away from that meant that she really struggled with her mental health. And so, unfortunately, the support that I needed and my siblings needed wasn't available at home. Uh, and that meant that, unfortunately, my brother became involved with the criminal justice system. I was actually kicked out of my first school, believe it or not, shockingly. And of course, I was all the the you know the, the racism and the discrimination that comes with being being an 11-year-old boy, you know, speaking with a very heavy Pakistani accent, a very broken English. It was a tough time. And a couple of years later, uh, as I realized I was gay, uh, that presented a whole new set of challenges when you're growing up in a Muslim mm. Pakistani household. And at times it felt really lonely and it felt really scary. But where I wasn't getting the support at home, one place I was getting some of that support that I needed was at school. And some some teachers especially went well beyond the call of duty. You know, they, they played the role of mom and dad and teacher and brother and all of those things. And so from a young age, I decided that I wanted to be a teacher because I wanted to provide the support to other young people that I didn't have. And so that's why I became a teacher 15, 16 years ago now. And it's, you know, it's been incredible. And as you say, I worked my way up in schools and currently deputy head teacher and head of safeguarding. But what I realized more recently was that there was a, a particular cohort of young people that I wanted to work with. Although my school has 2,000 young people and it's really, really diverse in East London, I really wanted to work with those kids that were disadvantaged. So when I say disadvantaged, I mean BAME, white working class, first in their family to aspire to university, um, refugee asylum seekers, have been in care themselves or a young care for somebody else, non-heterosexual, uh, have an SCN, uh, a special educational need or disability. So really kids that need that additional support. Um, and so what started as a, as a local grassroots project three years ago, just in Redbridge, working with 20 schools, is now something that will be delivered across 
eight East London boroughs, uh, and we'll be working with 400 kids uh, for September 2022. So we went from 50 kids in year one to 400 kids in year two, and we're, we're uh, in year four, excuse me. And we're grateful for the mayor of London and others who are our principal anchor funders who've allowed us to, to expand this work and have the impact that we're having. So for me, it's about giving young people the opportunities I didn't have because I know the, what those opportunities can mean and how it can really change the trajectory of your life. You know, we know today that your parents' income at the age of 14 continues to be the most significant determinant of your future standard of living. And I just, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't accept that because I know when I was 14 what my parents' income was and I wouldn't wish for that to be a limiting factor for any young person. So our leadership program is designed, a social mobility community action program, to break those class ceilings for these young people and open up an entire world that no one has ever told these young people is possible for them. Fahim, can I just say, I mean, it's rare uh, on, 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 on one of these interviews that the hairs on the back of my head stand up, but I'll be honest with you, it sends ripples of all sorts of mixed emotions going up and down my spine as you were talking and listening to both your experiences and the passions that drive you. Um, and I don't quite know which one to pick up on, but let me start with this whole concept of, you know, your parents' income at the age of 14 is the, your determinant in terms of this level of success that you have in the future. I'm one of seven people, well, one of seven siblings. Uh, my father came from India in the 1960 and uh, with my grandfather and eventually my mother came over uh, and I watched both my grandfather and my father toil, literally toil in foundries and factories, working the ridiculous hours like your father did. And there's something about a South Asian community, that first generation that you have to admire the resilience, the commitment, the dedication and the consistency of effort that they pour in to allow us to experience the lives that we have right now is exemplary, uh, to say the least, uh, and leadership at its very best, because I learned so many values from, from watching my, my father and my grandfather. But I think I agree with you that um, while ever they would have been on low wages, at the age of 14, by any rights, me and my six siblings would have really struggled. But actually, uh, you know, my brother, my eldest brother is a doctor and a solicitor, has a practice of each. My other brother's a doctor. My sisters became nurses and teachers. And I became a, a senior police officer. So I, I completely accord with where you're coming from that, we should not just listen to statistics and they, you know you know what they say about statistics statistics can be uh, uh, lies lies and more statistics uh, is, is the thing the phrase that's often thrown around but I think very often we do follow the statistical sort of analysis and we put, allow ourselves to be put into a certain box and that, that then defines us going forward and creates those glass wheeling, uh, glass ceilings walls and even floors uh, for us going forward uh, and I love what you're doing, therefore, with the Future Leaders Programme, where you are smashing, helping kids to look beyond their current perspective and smash these ceilings, which are nothing more than perspectives. Uh, they are nothing more. They're not reality. But as we both know, a perspective can be far, power, far more powerful than a reality. 
if 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 it's strong enough. So it gave rise to this incredible program that you are developing in London. I'm loving the fact that it's expanding way beyond where you are right now, and more people, more young people, will benefit from this. Uh, it sounds like the kind of program where we will see a whole generation of leaders with leadership skills going forward, and hopefully they will benefit organisations. I think within all of what you're doing there, that there is a sense that you're also talking about beyond the technical skills of leadership. There is something about the human element within that leadership. What is it that you that you think that stands this program out from other potential similar programs? What is it about the human side of leadership that you are teaching these young people? Yeah, great question. I think, you know, there's a lot of great programs out there for young people, but what makes our program unique and what we're really passionate about is the intensity and the depth of the program. So the fact that we work with them across a year where we meet with them weekly, what we end up creating is this incredible sense of belonging and this safe space for young people to explore who they are, uh, one as people, whether that's their ethnicity, their sexuality, their their faith, their you know whatever that might be, but also um, their ambition and and what they want to be. And you know, for some of them, it's the first time, particularly because because of the geo- geographical area we work with, we are are one of our main intakes is South Asian young people, particularly South Asian girls. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for South Asian girls, it's the first time they've been able to say, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a doctor, I want to go to university outside of London, because that's something that they would not be able to say in their family home because it would not be accepted. So yeah. we create this safe space where young people can explore themselves, but also explore their ambitions and their future. And the fact that it is so uh, intense and so in depth allows a real sense of community. In fact, the the Youth Resilience Unit at Queen Mary University of London is currently conducting an academic study on our project on how it significantly increases a sense of belonging, mental health and well-being. Uh, And that's so, so important because we need to get that human bit right before we can scaffold them up to all the other things that they want to do. So I think that's one of the real unique um, aspects of the program and one that we're really proud of. I, I think that's probably, from what I'm, I'm hearing, is probably the most powerful aspect of your program, aside from the, the awareness that they get of various industries and, and, and incredible uh, lectures and talks from key people that are invited in as guest speakers. And by the way, if ever you need me to come in as a guest speaker, it'd be a huge honour to be involved in something like that. Um, but I think the, the, the fact that you're teaching these human skills, I think the human skills in the current climate is probably the the, the, the number one attribute that organisations are looking for in their leadership. Uh, I think the experiences that we've been through over the last two years, you know, with the whole pandemic, the great resignation, the working from home, the isolation that people have experienced, the, the psychological safety and danger uh, that people have had to negotiate and navigate their way through. All of these have demonstrated, I think, I believe that uh, people have come back down to the very basic of human needs when it comes to Abraham Maslow. They want to work in an organisation or be in an environment where they feel safe, whether that's physiologically safe or whether that is psychologically safe. They want to feel safe. Uh, and um, and then they want to be feeling valued and appreciated and rewarded and so forth and heard and listened and seen and all of those fundamental human attributes and human requirements I think we're going down to that level and a lot of organizations out there haven't 
woken up to this and I had this conversation I just posted on LinkedIn this morning actually uh, about my frustration with a coaching client I was coaching a leader in an organization who was excelling in everything that he did and he was saying well you know a new post has come up and it would take me to a senior leadership level he says I've applied for this post but it's so technical in terms of the requirements it's so process driven and systemized uh, that there's no room for human human my human personality coming out my human attributes coming out and I've tried to speak to people in HR and my own leadership team and they are as confused as I am uh, and therefore not prepared to make courageous decisions about basing it on who I am and then another big organization comes along and says hey we like you would you want to come for come to work for us and he's managed to get a more senior position in this new organization because they thought differently so I think uh, there are organizations that are, are waking up to this new way of leading and a new kind of uh, uh, contract almost that, uh, that, that, that people are looking for in their organizations. Uh, and those that aren't are falling by the wayside. So I think your program will be hugely beneficial in that sense. Um, taking that concept into what you do now in the leadership you develop, uh, demonstrate in, in, in your secondary school, um, how are you ensuring that your staff, your teachers, your the children that, that come to your comprehensive school, how are you um, demonstrating that human-centered leadership approach with them? How do Because teachers are right at the front, cutting edge right now, as are most of the public sector. They've gone through almost hell over the last three years, you know. Uh, how are you making their journey easier, making them feel more valued, psychologically safe, and all of these kind of things? What sort of things have you brought into your school? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm really lucky that I work with an incredibly inspirational head teacher who believes wholeheartedly in the value of holistic education. And, you know, we are absolutely not an exam factory, although exam results are very good. It's not about that. It's not only about that. It really is about developing the whole child uh, and the, the whole young person across the seven years that they spend with us from year seven to year 13. Um, so that really is embedded in everything we do in our ethos. Our, our, the first word of our ethos is kindness. And that's the thing we teach first. Be kind to yourself and be kind to others and the rest will fall into place. Um, we have a real focus on celebrating our differences. So we do a massive celebration for Black History Month, Mental Health Week, uh, LGBT Week, Chinese New Year. You know, the, the, the list is very long and our, our kids, that really embeds in them that actually our diversity is, a, we call it a super strength. You know, our diversity is our super strength uh, at our school and we embed that in the young people as they, as they prepare to leave the world. But also we have a, an incredible well-being team that take really good care of the mental health of our young people. We have a, a, a well-developed PHSC program that teaches them about the real world and the challenges they may face. We teach about resilience. We teach about um, values and really embed them. You know, our, our priority is to develop them as humans first and then, then as academic students. I love that. And that takes courage for, for you to do that because, I mean, you know, the education sector, just like many of the public sectors, are driven by uh, all sorts of standards that you have to attain. And in your case, it would be Ofsted inspections. You know, I know that whenever there's an Ofsted inspection at my wife's school, I hear about Ofsted for several days beforehand and afterwards. So, uh, and in my day in the police service, it would be HMIC. So, 
all the things that you said, I think are absolutely fundamental, but they don't get measured. They're not tangible. And many of the conversations that I have with potential corporate clients that I want to engage with, they will say to me, well, how can you demonstrate that emotional intelligence, bringing that into our environment will actually, you know, impact on our bottom line? Whereas, where's the tangible benefit? Uh, so for you to, for you and your head teacher to focus in on these key elements like diversity, like kindness, the holistic skills that you're talking about, you must have had some really brave, challenging conversations to bring that about when you know that at the end of the day, the what you're going to get measured on is Ofsted. Yeah, absolutely. I think you have to believe in what you do. You know, when you work in the public sector, you know, resources are tight, time doesn't exist and you have a lot to do. So you really have to believe it. it really is a vocation and i think if like my head teacher and i you really believe in the vision and what you want the young people to look like and be like after the seven years that they spend with you and you hold that line despite the pressures that you might be getting from external agencies like ofsted and others i think you can create something really incredible i will say that we recently had an ofsted actually and presented our our ethos and our vision to them and it was so so well received and the Ofsted went really really well so I think Ofsted is evolving to recognize that actually exam factories aren't producing the the well-balanced healthy young people that we need that you know that are good for our society and our economy so there has been a shift there which is great to see under the new framework but uh, yeah I think you really have to believe in the vision and then and and then hold that line and deliver it even when it's really difficult to do so. It's really encouraging to see a, 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 you know a standards body like Ofsted understanding that hey this is more than the technical skill this is not what we want to produce out of the factory we want to produce human beings from from this 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 whole sort of several years of education that they this journey that they they've come out of and they need to evolve as human beings and as potential leaders going forward so you know huge kudos there to everything that you've done and uh, and what Ofsted uh, have done in terms of supporting you so let's talk about Fahim then I mean I I think if I remember right, I think I saw a LinkedIn post very recently to say that you just turned a magical age. I mean, it, it's you. I think you alluded to the fact that it was quite old, and I I, I found myself chuckling. <laughs> I did yeah, I turned uh, I turned forty about a month ago, so yeah, a big milestone. Whew. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm, I'm being reminded, uh, and rightly so, that it's 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 not it's not too old. So no. I'm, I'm, I'm welcome. To- that feedback. If I if I told you that my youngest daughter is only a few years younger than you, Fahim, maybe that that will make you feel a bit younger. Um, I need your skin regime because whatever you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's called as uh, being as happy as you possibly can be, <laughs> and you're looking great on it. So listen. So um, uh, I saw yesterday on LinkedIn that you are involved with Lord Simon Woolley. Um, who I think is one of the most inspiring UK people that we've had uh, for a long, long while. He's done some incredible work. And as a result of that, you are also involved in his Pathways to Success program, which came as a result of Operation Blackfoot. Uh, and this is about people who um, uh, aspire towards a public position or, or an uh, administration position going forward or a political position going forward. Uh, and you go to Oxford, if I remember right, Magdalene College in Oxford and you go through a whole process. I mean, I'm intrigued as to what that is. 
but I'm also intrigued about what your future plans might be for yourself as a leader. Uh, wow, um, I mean, the Lord Bully program is absolutely fantastic. I think two things that have been instrumental in developing my own leadership journey have been one, uh, uh, the Pathway to Success program, and two, uh, the Society of Leadership Fellows at Windsor Castle. So perhaps we can talk about both of them. But but starting with Operation Black Vote, as uh, so Operation Black Vote was set up about 25 years ago by Lord Woolley and, and Ashok to give a platform to black and brown voices and to make sure that those voices are heard. And when it was set up, there were four black and minority ethnic uh, MPs in parliament and is so proud to share that we know that now there are over 50, 10 of whom are direct uh, graduates from uh, the Pathway to Success program. So we can really see the link between the program and empowering people to, as Lord Willie would say, demand those spaces in those places. Um, and so I was on the program last year that over a thousand applications, as you can imagine, and, and, and about uh, 50 um, colleagues were selected, and I was honored to be one of those. You spend a week at Modeling College at Oxford, who is a delivery partner, uh, and Operation Blackboard and Oxford together deliver this incredible week of in, in, incredibly inspiring workshops and sessions and, and, and guest speakers, and you hear from people from all sorts of sectors. It is, it is uh, certainly for those people that have political ambition, but also for people who have um, other ambitions, but all in the context of raising the voices of minority groups. So whether that's in education, in medicine, in law, in the charity sector. So it isn't just for those that have political ambitions, but it's, it's more about giving uh, black and minority ethnic aspiring leaders the confidence, the tools, the voice uh, to have their voice heard and lead positive change in whatever sector they're in. And for me, that is, of course, education and young people and, and social enterprise. I know for many others, it is, is it is politics. And so proud of all my colleagues from Pathway to Success that have recently been appointed as local councillors or running for MP positions. So it really is a really comprehensive program and one I cannot uh, recommend enough. So Pathways to Success, Google that if you're interested. I know they've just selected the cohort for this coming year, but certainly for next year, people should look it up. It sounds fascinating. It really does sound really, really inspiring. And it um, I hadn't heard about it. And uh, it wasn't until I saw your post that I looked into it a bit more. And I thought, wow, yeah, it's a long time needed. And you're so right. You know, look how... Uh, we have evolved in a, a few short years. When I joined the police service, I literally was a brown speck in a sea of white. I was one of the pioneering people of colour in the police service. Uh, and now we have, you know chief officers who are Pakistani, Indian, black, and we've got all sorts of people uh, in all sorts of uh, leadership positions that are, that represent the true diversity of this country. And I think that's, that's, I was just saying yesterday, what makes Britain great, it's, it's its diversity and the diversity of food, the diversity of cultures, the, almost the, the fusion of all of these cultures to make it a uniquely British culture. And, and that's what we need to celebrate when it comes to diversity. And, and when I talk about diversity, it's got to be across all of the intersectionalities you know that's what makes britain great and it's great to see that in politics and I mean, who would have ever thought that you know in a leadership comp competition for a, a prime minister's post essentially you would have you know several people who are people of color or or number of females that we had going through it's just incredible but more needs to be done i mean who knows who the who the next leader will be but if it was a person of color it would be the first time in the history of the world that a majority white country would have a south asian uh, as their as their leader and i think you know 
whatever your politics, that is an incredible position for us to be in. And of course, it's not perfect and there's so much to fix. But I think, you know, there's a moment there to celebrate is in there. And, and, and that's so important. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Uh, and the other place that we are connected with is the Society of Leadership Fellows at uh, St. George's House, Windsor Castle. Uh, I'm I think you've been there for a while now, but I've only recently been invited to become a fellow. I went to my first leadership conversation uh, a month or two ago, thoroughly enjoyed it. And um, what I love about the Society of Leadership Fellows is that the depth of the conversations, the depth of the reflection of your own leadership thinking, your 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 values, the the breadth of people that you have there with such depth within them. Um, I'm looking forward to many, many more. How did you get involved in the society? What an incredible society it is, isn't it, Cole? I mean, what a privilege and honor to be part of it. Every time I visit Windsor Castle and attend one of the conversations, you know, I leave feeling braver and, and feeling more ambitious. Um, so I, I was invited to join by the amazing Michael Pipfield, who I know you recently had on. I, I listened to that podcast. I mean, Michael is, uh, is such a champion in so many ways, isn't he? and has this incredible career behind him. Yeah, he's amazing. I've been a fellow for just over a year, actually, but in, it's been such an impactful year. Uh, and I think one of the greatest things about the society, and as you know, you know, the, the aim of the society is for leaders to nurture each other's wisdom. And that's exactly what the society does. So we get together leaders from across sectors. You know, there's people from education, from, from law, from medicine, from uh, all sorts of sectors that come together and just really in an open, honest, vulnerable way, share their journeys, their ambitions, their struggles, their challenges, and we help each other resolve those, help each other be stronger and build each other up so we can go and do that good work that needs to be done. So uh, I've, I've done uh, I've done some one-day conversations, some dinners, some lectures, but also some um, a three-night conversation, which was just incredible. Lived at Winter Castle for three nights, three, uh, three days of personal development and being surrounded by these incredible fellows, being led by Chris and Karen, who do an amazing job. Uh, was such a, a, a personal development journey and came out of it with such clarity about my leadership ambition and feeling braver to do the good work that needs to be done. But also, on a lighter note, had the incredible privilege of meeting the Princess Royal Princess Anne, who is a patron of the society, uh, at a recent lecture a couple of weeks ago, which was you know an incredible experience. And she was so genuinely interested in the work we were doing at Future Leaders. And that's all thanks to Michael Pipfield, who, who, who made all that happen. But, you know, the society provides such incredible opportunities for, for, for leaders. Um, and it's just a great thing to be part of. So welcome, Cole, and uh, you'll, you'll absolutely love it, no doubt. Every single person that I have met as a consequence of uh, the the society has been a tremendous leader within their own right and full of such wisdom uh, that I find myself growing with every conversation, including this one that, uh, that I have. I look forward to meeting you at one of these conversations. I think I've just booked for a, 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 a meal and an overnight stop and... I am still pinching myself to think that I'm going to be stopping overnight in the grounds of Windsor Castle, not in Windsor Castle itself, but uh, in the grounds of, but uh, it's just incredible. Fahim, it's been an absolute pleasure and it's been definitely worth waiting for to talk to you. I could talk to you for for a long, long time, but we're limited by time. Uh, Thank you so much and uh, no doubt we will catch up again. Thank you for sharing your your passion, your journey and your wisdom uh, going forward. All the very best. Thank you so much for having me, Cole. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. 
Take care. Have a great day.